Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, good Alex afternoon. Crosby. You guys hear that rumbling iconic voice. rumbling voice over there on the side? We're uh, joined today by an avid outdoorsman and conservationist and also Clinton Clay's uncle. I like to call him Uncle Mel, too. Mel Belding. Hello. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. He you is got- also not just a... I want to. He's not going to say he's an expert on certain stuff, but he is very knowledgeable. Knowledgeable in a lot of stuff in a lot of different areas, and a couple of things we're going to talk about today. Um, I don't really want to get into it right now, but you might have heard his voice on American Almond Beef commercial. Oh, yeah. He was uh, the voiceover guy for something our, else too. American oh, the Benelli. There's a Benelli, the Benelli Invitational. Some of the Foul Life episodes, don't they? They have your voice on it. No, I haven't done None it. We that. did some. Uh, go way back to Dead Dog. We we do we did five some, or so. Uh, Jack, yeah. Jack Links, right? Jack, Jack Links. Link. He's done others. He, does, he, he did Dead Dog stuff. for yeah. Dead Dog for a little bit. Yeah, Dead Dog walking. You know, we we need a little more of that for sure. Mel, yeah, Mel. Uh, I mean, just my my brain is it's washing over me. He's a welder. Plumber used to be right. Uh, predator like, uh, control trapper. Do you fish? <laughs> uh, you know, I used to. I used to fly fish quite a bit with See? Dave Stanley and tried it out anyway. Shooter. He builds the guzzlers for the uh, uh, the NBU, the Nevada Bighorn Unlimited, Endow uh, program. Right, the the guzzler program. I see you on almost all those builds. Yeah, we try to make it. We. Uh, what do you do it all for? It's uh, it's for wildlife. It's um, something I've been doing for a few decades. You know, three decades, pretty solid now, and we've uh, been able to bring some new ideas in there and uh, the way we build them, the way they're constructed. Um, it, you know, a lot of people ask me how many have you built, and my answer is not enough, not nearly enough. It's it's something that's really needed. You live in the most arid state in the world, the driest state in, in, in the United States, and and it shows out there. And there's nothing better than to put one together and uh, go over there the next year and see the target animal that you were wanting to do it for there. Not only target animals, all animals use it, and um, it's something that needs to be done and more of. I guess maybe we should briefly say, because we do live in a desert state, maybe nobody even knows what these are, but they're, they're basically a rain catch, and then, and then it goes into a watering system you know, base, that holds that water for an extended period of time for you know, your target animal is sheep. But, you know, well, many, many deer and antelope also. Yeah, deer, antelope, chucker. I mean, I guess anything, <laughs> right? Anything Mountain lions. They, they, they do fence them <laughs> off to keep the horses out, right, or... or kind of build them so they're not we certainly real try horse to. friendly yeah. um a lot of people they don't realize that a horse has to be taught to jump so we'll put up a 42 to 48 inch fence and and that will usually keep the horses out now the smaller horses we, we put the rail at 42 or 48 inches high and at the top one and then 28 from the bottom so most animals will crawl underneath and and uh you, you, you do have some very, very uh, smart uh, burrows. And we filmed these, I haven't, but uh, in Arizona where the mule will actually, a full-grown mule will actually 
come up and lay down next to the rail and he'll roll, tuck his feet, get underneath, <laughs> go, <laughs> go in that, and get a drink, and then he'll lay sm- back down, roll, and go back out. The, a, a burrow is just much smarter than a horse. Is um, that a definition of a smart ass? That is. He's yeah. a smart ass, that's for sure. Just kind of like you and your brother over there. But, you know, <laughs> I am very smart. Your brother's been pretty quiet so far. So but, what, what uh, is it? I'm just starting to think, because one we've always observed is you watch mule deer come up to a fence out in the desert and... Yeah. pretty much not break stride and just hop right over it but an antelope's one where they're going 50 miles an hour and you'll see them just stop on a dime they have plenty of athleticism to jump a fence and they'll stop and they'll go underneath the lowest barbed wire part of it it's like what what is that in the dna that makes different wild <laughs> you know legged animals i, I do think that? it's uh and you're exactly right clint the, the hardest but a mule deer will take it but but the mule deer is in my experience is the hardest animal to get to use a guzzler to go in underneath that fence or over the fence we uh built one in 2008 um in in the excelsior mountains in 206 and uh over by mina down towards vegas so uh it was in a really treed area and we hung a camera on it and it was days and days that these deer would come up and circle the entire fence. Now the fences back then were all 40 by 40 double rail. Um, uh, I invented a, um, a post for that where we used to weld them together with inch and a quarter pipe and some brackets. And I came up with, with one that we just bend, we cut and bend and um, completely eliminated all um, concrete that we used to even have to fly in in helicopters. Uh, I built a thumper that was a gauge that we pound them in the ground with and and uh, these we built them 40 by 40 we built them as big as 48 by 48 but uh, the deer would actually they actually have to get acclimated to it and they will it'll be weak sometimes and finally one doe will jump in usually a doe but we all grew up as knowing the lead doe and then they'll take it over but they are very cautious of it now an antelope you could put him in a matchbox and he he will go in there and get a drink but a deer a little different bighorn sheep just because they're guard pardon just because they have their guard up more than exactly um i I think that's a lot of it uh a bighorn sheep on the other hand they'll generally go underneath the fence like an antelope does clint like you were talking about the antelope and they don't stop it's just a big cloud of dust they're they're going underneath that thing not missing a stride but the bighorn sheep uh i didn't think they would jump into these fences until we started using trail cameras and and that's another subject also is trail cameras and you know how bad or good they are in my opinion they're the best tool we ever had for the guzzler but uh we, we've i seen some on a barbed wire fence it's it's uh, over in the same country over by looning and he actually jumped the barbed wire fence, and that was the first time I'd ever seen a picture of a bighorn sheep jumping a fence. And it was a big ram. It mm. was a, at a place that we call, there's a lower and upper guzzler there. We're going to be rebuilding that guzzler here this year also. I imagine that one's one. well used because they don't get any water. Yeah. The witch? The, that's got, that thing's got to be well used because that area gets no water. 
Very um, little, I wouldn't think. Yeah, you know, a lot of people think Vegas is, is, is the driest place in the, in the state. Well, that's not true. Mina and Looning gets 3.68 inches of water a year, precip, where Vegas gets 4.12, 4.08, 4.12. Even, even parts of the desert um, get a lot more rain. Some of, some of that desert down there is getting 12 inches of rain a year, mm. and it's still considered a desert. But you guys have all seen this country when it's at its most beautiful, you know, when we've got some great rains in the spring and all the flowers and stuff um that that's true a lot of times in the, in the desert you know where they're, where they're getting that type of precip what what does it take to keep one of those guzzlers you know in use you, you got to get a few inches of hold for how long you know what i'm saying like i know they 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 fill those guzzlers down by vegas with helicopters at times when they run out but you obviously can't do that across the state so what is it well, what, do you, we, what does it take we do do it across the state. And what it is, is it used to be we used to get summer recharge. Okay, we'd, we'd get some pretty good thunderstorms in the summer. And that would recharge that guzzler system. So most of your guzzlers, when we first started building them, were about three to 4,000 gallons. Um, they also make small game guzzlers where you chucker hunters that, that they're, you know, used to seeing. Those are 500 to 1,000. So what happens is we we build an apron, the collection, okay? And then we store underneath that apron. Down south is a lot different. Um, They they leave everything exposed. In the north here, we bury everything. We put the, it's a system that I came up with where we could actually put the tanks underneath the apron, um, which shades the the water. Uh, It just makes a lot of sense to, to build one this way, but, we, you do have to be able to get equipment there. We quit building uh, guzzlers uh, quite a while ago. I mean, it, it's pretty rare that in the north here we're going to build one where you have to have a helicopter to get everything in and because of maintenance and the expense of it. Uh, so what it takes is, you know, you, you have to know the area and what type of precip you have. And when we, when we talk averages, it's it's a mistake i believe that's made when we construct guzzlers we have to work it takes a high and a low number to make an average correct so we have to work that low number you yeah. know so if we got say four inches of rain let's just say that we get four inches of precip yearly in mina and looning okay well some years we get six some years we only get two and we're, you know, we're all told we're in, a, we're in a mega drought. We're always in a drought. I, you know, I've been here all my life, and you guys know how old I am, but I, I've seen a lot of it. I've seen more drought than I have, you know, great good times with water. So we have a formula that we use. It's, it's uh, every thousand square feet of, of collection area, which is in, in the north is we use metal roofing. It'll give you 623 gallons per one inch of precip. So if we get four inches of rain, that means we get, let's just cut it, say we got 2,500 gallons. So we'll put in, we, we want to have uh, 10,000 gallons of storage, which, which was, when, when I first started building these, God, I thought these things were huge in a 4,000 foot square foot apron. Well, now I really think that we have to go to the max, which we have a state law that they enacted a couple of legislatures ago and we could only store 20,000 gallons of water. But 
we need to do that. Why now. is there a law in the yeah. books about that? Well, <laughs> we never had one until, I'm going to say, four years ago. Um, a senator in the state, and he's a good friend of mine, and and he just wanted to make that limit. There, there's people that uh, think it's their water. And years ago, we had a the water rights. Uh, the engineer, state engineer, said that it was back, I think, in 87 we got this decision, or maybe before that, that we can collect the water before it hits the ground. But if we let it hit the ground, then we have to have a permit to do that. So a lot of where you hunted last year with your brother, you, you've seen what we call a slick rock system. So they're using a natural slick rock that's this you know hard rock, solid rock to collect that water, and then and then we store it in different tanks, and it brings a lot of maintenance, just a lot of sand that, that mm -hmm. gets into the system and bird shit. There's well, yeah, the worst is actually sheep. You know, what I mean? <laughs> they love being on top of that. We could actually we've you know I've redesigned the drinkers. Um, uh, you know, we want a certain angle on them. We have cleats that a, that a sheep, when it, when the water starts getting lower, it's all self-leveling now. So if there's 16 inches of water in the drinker, we can fly over it. We look, we say, okay, there's 16 inches in the drinker. I know there's 16 inches in all four of the tanks or three or whatever you have. So there's little stations and little cleats welded across there. So if sheep or a deer or an antelope can get his footing, and get his drink and then get back out. Then if we, if we have big concerns or, or bats and birds and uh, we put expanded metal on the side. So if if bugs get in there, I don't care what it is, a caterpillar, it's gonna get out. It's got a way to get out. We put, we put the expanded metal on for that. Mm. I mean, the reason I, not really to change subject, it goes hand in hand why kind of what I wanted to get into, that was a total off script thing of what i want to talk about <laughs> yeah. but it leads right into that's why you don't really have a plan you just just yeah you just live. go and live it but especially with it, a guy like mel i mean well we could do a podcast i mean one a day for 10 years with <laughs> the knowledge and stuff that he's talked about but i wanted to talk today about because basically the tags we just did tags we just put in for tags in nevada and i imagine i, I kind of want to get into applications the number of animals the number of applications um what he's seen you know 30 years ago versus today and and what we've learned from maybe other states um if there is anything or legislation that other states are trying to pass or not you know that we've failed to act on um well, that that's funny that you bring that up and i didn't intend to ask you about this but i got a uh call the other day that my friend is you know heard us discussing our you know tag things and he's not going to put in for uh deer this year and you know that that was some advice that we had heard through the grapevine and and i'm not saying we 100 percent we we didn't put in for deer in some areas that we used to put in for deer we kept some of our units what 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 are your thoughts on well, the deer? Uh, yeah, before we even get into that, I wanted to explain why he was even in here. He called me the other day on my birthday. I was hope I was thinking it was just about my birthday. Say happy birthday. He wasn't going to lunch with me either. Yeah. Well, I already had lunch plans, bud. 
you know, I'm popular. She's not any better than there's like, next day. like 60, yeah. 62 people in line. So I said, get in line, bud. <laughs> I had a birthday m- week, and I said, now I can have a month with you. Right. Anyway, uh, he said happy birthday first, and then, it, for, you know, 6.15 in the morning, we're talking about guzzlers and tag application, and I'm not putting in for this, and we need to do this. And, and it was an hour conversation and it should have been a podcast, really. So I was like, oh, that's what we're going to do next because I think it's going to help a lot of people realize what we used to have as kids and kind of took it for granted and what we need to do should have started 10 years ago, if not longer, to where our kids even have a chance to see a little bit of what we used to if we don't do it. If not, it's it's going to be on. Yeah, really it is. So... With that being said, you can ask your question about the deer. What? What? Well, yeah. Apparently, you two already talked about it, so Clay can leave. But I want to know what, what do you, you know? Well, the, what, the concern, the concerns we have as as conservationists is is the quality of animal that we're going to take. Okay, you know, we've all been to the bar, and we're going to take the best looking one out of there. Okay. And I was taught by the same person that Clinton Clay were taught by. And that's my brother Orv. And uh, we, we did not look at a fork and horn to harvest. We did not look at a three point to harvest. And we were always taught that we wanted to take just the cream off the top and we'd never get into the core. And this has been instilled in us, not just by Orv, but my uncles, my dad, not so much, we didn't hunt a lot. He passed away when I was pretty young, but that's pretty much the tradition that I've tried to carry out. You know, your buddy, he's got some company. I only bought a point for mule deer this year too. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason why is that I wanna harvest a mature animal. And to me, a, a mature animal is a six-year-old mule deer. Now, a lot of guys will tell you it's five, and I'm not going to argue with that person, you know. Um, but nothing under five is, is actually mature. And if you, look at the, if you look at the results at the end of the year at any of these units, especially the ones that's near and dear to our hearts, um, you're just not seeing that quality there anymore. And, um, you know, they, they say, well, we have mature deer out there because we have a four-point. Well, a four-point is not a mature deer. Um, I've seen many, many deer, just like you guys all have, that are four points and they're two years old. As a matter of fact, when you have a healthy herd yeah. that has good genetics, he's going to be a four-pointer. So... And that's that's the type of things that we always look for. And, you know, we were taught to do that. And that's what all you guys do also, I'm sure. I've I, I seen, you know, you, you two guys, Clay and... and uh, Alex. Alex. <laughs> yeah, Alex. <but laughs> he got confused with which bald head. Yeah, which bald head over I, here. I couldn't find that, that word, the host. But you guys killed... Got lucky, I'd say. And, and you Very. know, you harvested some a couple of great bucks. Um, and they were mature, both of them. But and you got to be proud of that. I mean, you guys hold out, and you're going to hold out for a good one, or you're not going to take one. Uh, so, 
if we want to cut to numbers and really talk about the draw and how many we have, um, you know, you're looking at about six, uh, you know, just round numbers now, you know, 65,000 applicants, okay, which generated about 350,000 applications. Well, that, that's last year's numbers. So that's with the bonus points in place is what you're saying? That, that's, that's just a... That's just an applicant, but the, you know when you go in, okay, there's sixty, you know, roughly sixty-five thousand people, and you're going to put in for five, six animals, correct? Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha so gotcha. that's what brings the applications up, and that's what that's what brings, and it's, it's ten or twenty dollars a piece, or fifteen. So you're paying fifteen for elk, and ten dollars for a deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, goat. You know, that's ten dollars, and the reason why it's just just real quick. The reason why it's 15 with elk is for elk damage, okay? So the extra $5 that you put in, that goes into an elk damage account. And when, it, when a landowner has, um, which is totally different than deer, the way they, they compensate the landowner, when, it, when it's done to a crop that is like an alfalfa crop, okay, they get money. They don't get tags. A lot of people believe that they get tags for elk like they do for deer and antelope, but they don't. They get compensated with cash. Where on natural meadows that is private and, and a landowner counts on for his, if it's sheep, goats, cattle, that's where they get the tags. So you call in to Endow and they'll come and look and, and they'll see how long, how many has been there, how many they believe has been there, how long they've been there. And that's the way to distribute these elk tags. Where with deer, they go in and make a simple count in the field, uh, a cultivated field. Yep. Um, 30 there, there's 50 deer, 50. you get one tag. There's 100, you get two. If antelope, you get, if you have 50 tags, you get a 50 antelope, you get one tag. If you have 100, you get two. And um, Explain again the, the elk the elk, in more detail. On the landowner tags. Well, the landowner tags for elk are not done on, on crops. Okay, they're done on natural meadows. So that your big that your own livestock uses the same, you're saying same. Or would use. Well, yes, or would yes, use on yes, your, okay. yes. So they go in and, you know, and I don't know what the number is right off the top of my head, but it's on natural meadows. So it's not on something you've cultivated, cultivated, and you're gonna you're gonna, you know, Plant cut for a crop. They pay you for that, is what you're saying? No, right? no, no. That's where they give you the tags. Oh. Now for the damage to your crops, like your alfalfa crops, that's where they they give you money. In some cases, you know, they'll pay to put up a fence um, to keep them out of your, uh, you know, keep them out of your fields, but. Uh, is like that because they eat so much more? Pardon? Is that because they eat it's so much more? Because yeah. they're just a bigger animal? It's really, it's really just the way it was set up. A lot hmm. of people believe that an elk um, eats a lot. That say, say we got ninety elk in a in, a, in an alfalfa field. Um, I've had a lot of landowners tell me that the problem is not them what they're eating. It's what they're destroying, walking in and out of the field, mm. bedding down. Fancy. Clay, you and Clint have heard Lavore talk about it with the deer and the antelope in the fields. So, you know, you've got, you're just about ready to harvest some, some, uh, 
uh, alfalfa on a field. And, you know, the deer are in there bedded down. So, you know, the, you know, you can't even get it to cut it. So that's where the damage coming, especially with elk. You know, they, they, can, they can be very, very aggressive in those fields, you know, as far as tearing them up. Yeah, yeah. That just watch sense. them, watch them in a wallow compared to what a deer an antelope does. Right. Yeah, sure. Same well, kind of sure. I, you know, but going going back to the deer, we talked about it. You said there was two hundred forty, two hundred sixty five thousand in nineteen eighty something, and, and now in we're 19, down to- in nineteen eighty eight. We had what the number is now is two hundred forty four thousand deer in the state of Nevada. Just you know, three decades ago, and a little little more than that. We had 244,000. That number has been adjusted. I've seen that number as high as 280,000 mule deer that year. The only other year that it even came close to it, and it might have surpassed it, but we, and it probably would have, but we didn't have the type of you know, survey that we have now, you know, back in 1955. And, you know, I'll shoot you a real quick story here. I was with the ex. Uh, Endow director, his name's Willie Molini, and in my opinion, probably the best we ever had. Um, but he went into the Granites one year, and he was he was the old 11, 12 Northern Washoe biologist, and from 1969 to 1972 or three somewhere in there, and then he became the Upland Game Bird Fur Bear Manager, and that's when I got to know. Willie very well was when he became the the bobcat biologist and um, he was telling me a story just last Friday night at the coalition dinner that he went in on ground and that's the way they used to do it and he counted I think the number was 134 mule deer in 014 the granites okay Hmm. well George Sukamoto and another employee there and George Sukamoto he was the uh, big game um, administrator, the big game chief, okay, back with Willie, and he, he went on to Washington after retired here, and he did another stint here as an acting director for Endow. Um, just a, a great individual, one, one that we owe a lot to as conservationists. And he, they put this helicopter together, and they went to the same place where Willie had just been, and they counted like 870 deer <laughs> in the helicopter. So now, you know, that changes. So now, you know, you used to do it on foot. If you look at, if you want to go back in history and read some really interesting stuff with Endow and, and the bighorn sheep, you know, you want, to, you want to look at Bob McQuivy's stuff. And, you know, he would go out and count, you know, by eye. And he would have counts, you know, seven rams to one ewe, you know, so you're looking at a very inflated number because of the way it had to be done. So, you know, things have changed and, and in a lot of cases it's, it's, it's gone a lot better. So that's but not a little the short deer's history case. on it. But not in the mule deer's case, it's gone down from 280 we, at the height. We've had a constant decline since 1988. And we're Let, at 78,000 now? There's 78,000 is, is the count that they have this year. We had 84,000 last year, 83 or 84,000. But let's just let this let's go back just eight years ago. In 014, the granites, we all know it, we love it. They had 1,600 deer in the granites. the The number we have this year 
is 250. So in eight, just eight years, we've lost 1,350 deer in, in 014. It used to be a trophy. And, and based on our experience, that, yeah. was, that had to have been significantly down even halfway through there, four or five years ago when Chance had the tag. So it's... Right. Right. So the decline happened and, and rapidly. And what did you guys do at midday? What did, what did you guys go do? in mountain lions. Called, a few, called in two mountain lions. lions. <laughs> yeah. So is it a problem? And, and you know, and That I was really going to be do. my question. What's the problem? Lots. There, there's a well, lot. Let's, 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 uh, to me, let's break this. Because we kind of have two different, I think, main parts of this subject. You have total deer population that you're talking a lot about. And it, when you first started, we were talking about Tag. trophy animals you animals mature animals, mature animals worth animals. taking so mature. to me where i i would like you to specifically go into each one of those why we're not seeing the numbers that we're seeing and how much is that related and how much is it a little bit different when it comes to actually okay so let's uh, the genetics in a herd and four points and that because to me they're kind of there are two sub subjects underneath the same one with mule deer okay so uh, and like clay said i'm not an expert but I am out there well versed a lot <laughs> a lot in 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 the winter time and and I think that's the important time to be out there um I'll spend four four solid months in in a mountain range, maybe two or three mountain ranges um and I've been doing this since nineteen seventy three so i've I've been at it a little while <laughs> but um Longer than all of us have been alive. Let, let's let's just take a look at uh, let, let's take a look at what you want one of Clint. Where, well, yeah, where do you want to start? You want to talk about quality first, or do you want to talk about numbers? I think I think they're two different. They are you know, two different topics. In they kind of so they kind of join in a little bit, but the the quality, I let me take a run at it. I I feel just in the short time, obviously, I've been on this earth because I you see the pictures of you know your grandpas and your great uncles in in plaid and in levi's yep. killing giants killing giants like it was nothing right and now you your dad has one and i have one is chase ever going to have one you know but that's just one so i feel that there's two things because of the politics and predators and obviously water and drought has a big play to do it but that's where the politics come is because with the water and stuff that we do have here and the net the habitat there's not a lot of going into the habitat restoration and to predator management and what we need to do money is being spent in areas that you're like really if it's even being spent at all you don't um, like the Sagen project? Is that where you're well, getting at? It's not that. It's, it's that. There's a Raven project where uh, we're, we're doing Raven stuff where we're getting $3 in application. I mean, he was alluding to it. That's over a million dollars a year in predator control funds. Predator management. Predator management funds. And you're like, why are we going after Ravens? Yes, yeah. they do the bird in the eggs and stuff like that, but that's not, they're not it's eating not our deer. deer. They're not eating our deer. Well, and uh, you have to realize, and, you know, let, let, let's take on a little bit with predators. I really don't want to get too far involved with it. Um, and I'm not biased at all, but I, I don't really want to get too far into it. Um, the money that is, in my opinion, wasted 
uh, we have three hundred thousand dollars in in Raven management. Okay, now if you follow the follow the law, we can only take I believe it's twenty five hundred Ravens. There's only so much. You know, we put out an egg, a soft boiled egg. It's got some poison in it. The Raven comes by, eats it, he dies. So there's only so much of this poison that we can put on the ground. And, you know, I've counted leks, which, which a lek is where sage grouse comes to do his mating, correct? And uh, I've had very, very few times, maybe once or twice, I've had a coyote um, ruin the, the strut, what, what a sage grouse cock does. But several times I've had hawks just completely mess it up. Um, but when you, when you look at that, we have to protect these sage grouse. This is what's going to shut the West down is, you know, the sage grouse are in peril and we, we need to, to conserve their habitat. We need to make better habitat for them. And, uh, you know, we, we have to do everything we can for that bird because it's going to shut us down. It almost did. You guys are up on it. Uh, it's almost shut us down a couple times, but, what I want to get at is, is wait a minute, um, why? Because of the numbers. You're saying that that they'll be extinct. Uh, I'm not saying they're ever going to be extinct, but they're going to be so low that they're going to they're going to close they're going to close down public lands yeah. to save them. Where yeah. I, exactly, where, and and that does not. There's a there's a huge difference between conservation and preservation. When you preserve something, what usually happens to it? Yeah, they it just, rots, right? Yeah. I'm going to preserve some jerky. Well, how long can I actually preserve that jerky or that apple or that apricot? So when you try to preserve something, you let it rot. Well, and then add in, in the context of preservation, a wildfire. Well, you've, exactly. You've and, preserving and, it in a wildfire hits and everything burns up. You know, up, you guys... So. You're, you're you're young, but you've seen the devastation that's happened to your, you know, undoubtedly your dad's favorite place to ever be. Yep. You know, you've seen the fire, but I was on a board up in Surprise Valley in California, and I was calling the BLM daily, wanting to get that fire put out, and uh, they said as soon as it gets out of the the wilderness, we're, yeah. we'll, we'll put it out. So let it burn. What is what is wilderness? It's you're trying to preserve something. That that's the wrong thing. In my book, you want to conserve it. You don't want to preserve it. You want to conserve it. And that's why I, I call myself a cons yeah. conservationist. And this is where I would interject this few times you've said I'm not an expert. I'd much rather take somebody who is a expert that has your background because it's kind of like boots on the ground, right? Versus the experts are who Classroom. are making these calls and this president. You know, that's a great topic because there's they're so-called experts. They're they're there's going some, about it the wrong way because they have no real world there's some experience. Very very so. good ones out there that make those calls. That there really is. Uh, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. And there's some there's some out there really trying to make a difference. But you know, numbers. Um, you had 15 tags in 014 last year. Uh, any and I'm you know what I'm going to talk about is any legal weapon. Yeah. Uh, you know I'm not going to talk about your archer. So we're we're back know. around to mule deer now, kind of. Full yeah, we're at mule deer. So, fifteen <clears throat> tags in 014. Fifteen tags. 
And again, um, just to revisit, that was 1,600 or so animals just eight in, years in ago. a unit eight years ago. And now it's two fifty, like about 20% of that. No, less than that, whatever that is. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. We've do you have any idea what the tag app, what the, what the, what, how many tags there were in 88? Just to use those numbers? I, I, I think we had like it, it, going into the 400, like we had an 033 in the, in the Sheldon. Um, and I think, I really think you, we need to compare everything to the Sheldon. So, the Sheldon is a national antelope refuge, correct? Yep. And it's run by the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. But we're, we are, the state is supposed to have the management of these animals. Um, we removed all the horses, except for about 15 or 20, um, a little over a decade ago, I'd say, huh? Uh, we have less mule deer now than when we first started removing them. Hmm. So what is the gorilla in the room? That's... And this is as much as I'm going to say about predators. You can't. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't care what state you want to talk about. Um, mule deer is in decline. Okay, Utah's done a great job because they transplant deer. Um, they also have a. So they're actually. Bounty. Well, hmm. we lost. You know, Wyoming. Okay, 111 or 11,000. 11,000. Not 111. 11,300 tags this year, less than what they had last year for mule deer and antelope. This is in Wyoming, and it's drought, and, and, and then they get hammered with some really hard winters, which we haven't had in how long. Yeah. I don't remember zero degrees in Reno for a long, long, long time, okay? In 1983, we had that, and it was just, you know, we're in the biggest drought of all, I think it was a nine-year drought, and we were in the middle of it, I guess you could say, and we tilted in 1983, we lost tremendous amounts of deer and antelope. Now think about that for just a second. 1983, we tilted because of the freezing, frigid weather. We tilted lots and lots of animals. But what did we just talk about in 1988? 240,000 deer. Mm -hmm. So these guys can make a comeback, can't they? Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a lot. Habitat is very important. It, it's probably, in most cases, the most pinnacle thing, you know, is habitat. And there's places that, you know, that predators are doing the, the worst damage. You know, we have to get rid of it. And what brings it? Guys want to talk about coyotes. If you're a coyote hunter, right now is, is when you want to be out coyote hunting. Why is that? Drop it. Because just about two, three weeks ago, coyotes started to be born. Okay? Now, in about a week from now, you're going to see your mule deer dropping on the ground, your fawns. So, if you can just take this time of the year and do your most extensive predator hunting, it would do the mule deer and, and, and antelope and elk, it'd do them the best, the best for them. That's the best time of the year. The other time is winter and in and, and the winter areas. So now it's real important. Get your predator guys out there, get them, get them hunting these predators right now because the predator you take out, if you're around fawning grounds, you're gonna save some fawns. Just don't go to our spots. 
<laughs> and it's too hot for us to go. And why is that? Does somebody else like to go there? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I we keep. I mean, we keep we keep getting off track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard, hard to, to stay I'm gonna bring, on It there. is because I want to come back to Clint's question. Is that it, I think there's just so many things that are. It's a, like a circle of bad whatever you want to call bad it bad happening bad happenings that this they coincide with each other you have less deer declining because of what we just talked about predators and drought and stuff like that you want on the other side of wanting to grow this business or not this not business but the sport you want to bring in what kids and kids. girls and women and stuff what does that do it brings more hunters so now we have this idea of youth tags right you you want a kid to be able to go hunt but at the same time there's an education that has to be like you don't have to kill that three point or you know fork and horn because now what we're talking about with now there's only seventy eight thousand, and especially and especially though what happens with tag applications there's more people that want to hunt less let's just go with deer right so now you have a less chance of pulling a tag so in the state of Nevada, it's a draw state only unless you buy a governor's tag or something like that or get a landowner's tag, right? If you're just talking about what we did, any legal weapon, now you might get lucky and get a tag every five, Three seven, five eight, yeah. ten, whatever it is on a mule deer, which is crazy to me. So now when you, you have a kid that gets to get in its own special draw of however many percent of total tags i don't you might know the number but they get thrown into their own special deal which i want them to hunt but at the same time there's so many of them that they don't have the the wherewithal i guess to say to to take a mature deer because you want them to be successful to be right. able to feel that love and joy for it well, to you be want to teach them how to process it you want to teach the whole thing but at the same time there's you're going every three five seven years without getting a tag when you finally do get a tag, you want to eat the meat, mm-hmm. and you're like, I want to kill a mature deer, but at the end of the day, on the last day, if I don't see a mature deer, I don't want to spend all this money and all this time and all this everything, let's go get a meat buck. Well, someone might just go shoot that you know, fork and horn and not realizing that in two years, he's going to be a six by four. You know, so they take out that, they just keep taking out, or they take a four-year-old or a two-year-old four-point because it's the biggest. You shoot the biggest the meat biggest buck you can buck. No, I think that's but the it's one a, worth saying is the, the immature four-point. Right? It's a four-point. It's got to be a it, mature no, buck. It's not. Yeah. He's a two-year-old, yeah. and you're taking that out of the genes. So next year or seven years from then, those genes aren't in it, and now you're seeing a three-point, and now you're seven years from that, you're seeing a fork and horn. So it's just all these factors that go mm-hmm. into it that – you have it, it really comes down to number of tags we can't shut it down because i we It'll will never, never get back. it back but they could there's a lot you, of you're talking about shutting a, a unit down an area down is what you're saying right or, or just all or just, just just all deer hunting all deer hunting for five years yeah. i just i don't it, think it's it can not do a, it's not it's not the way to go no about it's not it. there's yeah. i mean but there's that thought process shut it down and let them grow out no hunting there's more it predator takes way more than that yeah there's so yeah. many things that go into it. I'm, I'm getting it all excited about, because it's I, I think what you're doing, I just <laughs> want to bring this up. And it's, it's a word I used a little bit ago. What are we doing? We're not conserving. We're pre- preserving. Yeah. Right. We're talking about preservation there, right? Yeah. Well, let's let's just get into one that I think is probably the biggest thing about what Clay just ran it about. Um, <laughs> Junior hunt? <laughs> 
Uncle Mel, give the audience some tips, field tips, because we're sitting here talking about taking a mature animal. I'd say 20%, 30% maybe of average hunters out there even know what the hell you're talking about. How In the field, how do you, how do you know it's a young deer versus, let's say, let's just specifically a four point it's deer a, how do you know it how do you know or a fork and horn even for that matter what? it's the same and, and you're Give exactly some tips right on how you're able to say you know what i know that that is a five six seven year old deer versus a two three four year old deer I, I think the most important thing to look at when you're looking for a some guys will call it trophy i, I don't like to use that yeah. word i'll use mature but if you look at a mature buck there's one thing he has over another buck that's younger standing next to him. What is it? It's mass. It's the mass of those antlers. So I, w- I want to see something that's heavy. You know, you know, when we're talking a heavy mule deer, we're talking five and a half, you know, six inches. You know, that, that's a heavy deer. Um, and they surely get heavier. But you, you want that, that mass on that deer. Um, another thing that I look at is, is body condition. You know, the older bucks, um, you guys have seen my walls, um, the the 8x6 double dropper, 38-inch buck. He was, the only thing that Sam Stiver could tell me at the time was he was in the 10-year 10, 10 age class or better. But he said if he took a stab at him, he'd be 13. Um, that's an old that's deal. An old deer. Deer. That, that's Jeez. a very, very, very old deer. So uh, you, you look at his nose. I mean, mm-hmm. things, things just start shortening up on them you well know, you look at the muzzle the old gray face you know your dad talked or, about the old muzzle the and that's, old kind of, gray that's face. what i wanted you get into because we can't in the field pull a tooth and say it's a ten and a half no, year you old can't. Deer. so but, but this so is mass exactly on horns that's color a, of face you know they start to get gray do they that's ha- exactly what we need clint we need to know if we are taking mature deer, we don't need to know if we're taking a four pointer and we're gonna count that as mature deer. Exactly. What you just hit on is exactly what we have to do. We ha- And what sportsman's not gonna do it? Hey, I want your deer, I want the lower jaw. Okay, now this is gonna be some expense to the department. And, and you know, there's NGOs that will, will pay for this whole thing. But let's just pull the tooth and how old is he? You know, whitetails have, have so much more research. Um, you know, you talk about whitetails, you know, one coyote, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you one coyote on where they raise these whitetails, they'll take out 19 fawns in a season. 19. Yeah. So, and this is all research. This isn't somebody telling somebody, this, this is biologists that work for these landowners and they know what's being taken and they know what's taking them. So. Uh, we pull a tooth. Then we know what age structure we're working with. Now, with bighorn sheep, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up because, you know, with tags we go off of, we go off of total bucks in the population, and it, it, we shoot for 20 in most areas in the state. We shoot for 25 to 30 bucks per hundred does. Now that's not a percentage, guys. That is, if I see 135 deer and 35 of those are bucks, that's 35 to 100. If they tell me the fawn count is 32 fawns per 100 does, then I'm gonna, if I'm gonna see 132 deer, I'm gonna see 32 fawns and 100 does. So, it's, so just, just so everyone knows, that's not a percentage. So when those tags are given out, we're, you know, we're given on uh, total population. We're, we go with a bighorn sheep, 
how do we do it? We go in, the biologist goes in, he counts these rams, and he looks at his age class, and you want healthy age class from yearling all the way to six-year-old. Well, once they hit six years old, then they'll count 27 six-year-old rams in a population. So he puts that in his model, and he can give up to 50% of the six-year-old pluses, or 8% of that total ram population. So when we go in and look at, at, at bighorn sheep, the way they're managed, I honestly believe if we managed mule deer like that, we wouldn't have but maybe a handful of tags. You know, first of all, you're going to have to prove to me that that buck is actually five or six years old. So for all arguments, I'll stop it. Let's just say it's five years old. I believe it's six, but five years. And uh, you, you would have very few tags. So let's just, and I, I made this challenge to the commission and, and to the mule deer enhancement teams that we have going on. And I said, hey, let's just cut it, you know. I don't believe that a four-year-old, that a four-point buck is an older age class deer. As a matter of fact, he can be a year old. He can be two, a year and a half. He can be two years old. So out of, out of these areas in, in northern Washoe where we're all having this debate about right now, let's just tell the sportsman, we want your lower jaw. Do you know, do you know one sportsman that wouldn't do yeah. that, give you the lower jaw? They would probably give you 20 bucks to say, yeah, I want to know how old he is. Mm -hmm. You you wanted to know how old your elk was, so right? Your bull? Is that is that a one-year process and then the next no, year? No, I think, I think you need more than a year. I really do. Because you don't want just a snapshot in time. Yeah. I, I think you need to carry that out and, and watch to where, you know, over a five-year period. Okay, so after that five-year period. And try to manage those bucks to get older age class. And let's just say in five years, maybe we could, on that fifth year, uh, maybe we see some older ones, but not just because they're four points, because they're actually old. But in five years, what happens? Okay, now we, we're only uh, we we realize that we're only killing three year deer, three year old deer, two year old deer, whatever it is. Whatever we, it might we be. have, and an occasional older, yeah. older age class. Yes. So at that time, do you say we are dropping the tags to ten percent of what it is now? And once, or we keep it at what it is. And once we reach, you bring in your tag and kind of like a mountain lion or a trumpeter swan, when two, three-year-olds get killed, the season's over. I mean, are there, what, what is, what are, what is on the table? I'm just talking hypothetically, but what is actually on the table? What is the deer endowed doing? What is the deer enhancement? What options are they even trying right now? We're not we're not looking at at age class at all with mule deer. What are, what are they doing? Are they doing anything other than uh, adjusting tag adjusting tag applications or or you know because there's so many and now we're in a drought we got to go kill one horn you, ran now and now we got to kill the ewes and now we got to have a, a ewe season for dose whatever it is that's it that's it seems like you're beating the horse and it's nothing's working. Well, well it doesn't seem like something. you... I'm not saying you. Yeah. It doesn't seem like much has been done in mule deer. And you never hear... They never talk age or size. It's... Right? It's it's horned or it's antler, antlered or yeah. antlerless and that's it. Yeah. There's no... Which, like Idaho, I noticed they have some elk tags that are... You can kill spikes, and but then they have got to be brow-tined bulls. You know, they so, have same to Same as be, we have here. We have that same right. thing in Nevada. 
but not for deer is what I'm saying, right? I mean, well, no, yeah, absolutely antler not. or antler list. That's it, right? It's no, no. there is no, you know, do you say hey, you, you can't kill a spike or a forked horn or a three point? And we've had that, the, you know, we've had three point or better. We've had four point, you know, we've we have tried had to manage for four point, and you know, we've had that in the past. And and what happened? I mean, uh, you know, states have had that in the past. And what happened? You know, you found a lot of, you know, brushed up deer on on the on the on the landscape. Well, I thought he was a four-footer. I thought he was a three-footer. Yeah. You know, I the last buck I harvested was a three-pointer. You know, he was 39 inches wide, but he was a three-pointer. Sure. So, <laughs> But do you say three-point or better? And like you say, oh, well, I, my binoculars, I, I saw a twig, and I thought he was a four-point, and I killed him. Well, not saying you're going to get in trouble or fined or whatever. Or I, You shouldn't be. Do, no, no but just, do you not? Ethics. You're Okay, you're not allowed to have a tag for seven years instead of a deer every year you can put in for deer every year yeah but antelope it's five and you know deer or elk it's seven or ten or whatever <laughs> do you put you can only put in for deer every five years is that a, is that on the table even no it's it's not on the table but let's let's talk about some things that they do you know you asked about junior tags we have three thousand or better for you know set aside for juniors um now the rules are changing on that next year the only you know a, a junior right now has a tag for either sex okay well the only next year the only place they're going to be able to harvest does is where we have an open doe season in that unit so this year you'd be looking at six seven ten oh five one you know that they have doe hunts there so the juniors are going to be able to do it well um biologically speaking they'll tell you that you know a, a light harvest of does is not going to hurt well i disagree because if we have a light harvest of does and they've they've taken as many as seven out of the out of 014 in a year so we can't even recoup back into the population of what we take out and with all with all user groups you know together we're talking about 22 deer you know, 20, 25 deer in, in 014. We can't even recover that into the population. Yeah. So we got to say, okay, what what are we doing wrong? How can we help this stuff? I mean, we don't want people to lose interest, but how do you how do you get someone's interest? I remember the one of the first deer you took, probably the best deer you've taken in in your life. Um, it was on the ranch up there. Uh, a hell of a buck, what, close to 180, 170 some, just a great buck, okay? But how did you know that was the buck to take? Who who was the guy telling you, you know, you, you had a little bit of an, an idea, but who who was the guy who was bringing that to your attention? It was your dad. My dad said, that one right there, has, he's got long tines, <laughs> big, tall, long tines. There you go. Yep. So... And that's what I was talking about earlier. So so what I'm going to lead into here is, you know, we tried a decade ago to get what we call a mentor tag or a tag-along tag. And I will guarantee you, if I drew a tag for an antelope, a deer, probably even a desert bighorn sheep, um, and I had a kid that... Now, first one would be my grandson. Oh, he's only three, so it'd be something else. I I would look at your kids, okay? My family, my 
Chase, okay? You know, Chase, he, he didn't get a tag this year, you know? Well, Chase, guess what? Uncle Mel got one. Let's go hunting. So that's a tag-along tag, okay? The next-door neighbor kid, we, we have a tag-along tag. And, and we, you know, that's where we start instilling the, the thought of taking mature deer, taking that older age class buck. Don't let him, don't let him take that fork and horn. You know, have him, have him try for, a, for, a, for an older age class deer. If this was 20 years ago, I wouldn't be saying these things. I right. would not because there was just so many more out there on the landscape. But now we don't have many. What's more susceptible that, you know, that's going to die in a bad winter? The older guys, right? I mean, if they're not dominant and they're not eating all the, the food, you know, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of guys would argue that point that, you know, big mature deer, they're going to be the first one to the water. They're going to be the first one to eat. They're going to be the first one this and that. Well, okay, that, you know, there's, there is some truth to that. But there's more little ones than there are old ones, right? So that's the ones we got to keep on the landscape. Another one, so that's a tag-along tag, and then a mentor tag. Um, you, you know, I had two two boys next door to me and and uh then I got them into the uh, hunting program it's an outdoor program and um if I if I could have when I drew a tag especially an antelope tag I, I would have taken either one of those boys hunting and I want to pass on my tradition this is this is this is our tradition and that's what they're trying to take away from us um, and, and that's why I'll fight it forever in the legislature or wherever I have to go. So there, there's ways we can introduce. I like that idea. Of a tag, if you if you have if you draw a tag, no, no funds exchanged, obviously, because that's where I've heard people talk about. Well, you you can't do it because you get a tag from Nevada for 115 dollars and then sell it for 10,000. Oh, we don't want so that. Don't that. So I like the idea of if you draw a tag, you have you have the right to do what that what you want. And if you want to take a kid hunting, that's a great idea, especially with a tag along. I mean, you're yeah. there. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's what I'm saying. And, and not just give it to them and yeah, go off. It's not like it's not like the deer. Uh, you're going to harvest that deer anyway. Is the way I look at it, right? You know, so having the kid there is just giving him. And I, I don't like this word because this is what they use. You know, the the, your, the word they use the most is opportunity. But you're giving that kid that opportunity that he might not never get. Yeah. I, I don't want to say this. You know, you're talking about how we're going to save them. I don't know. I, 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 I think you're looking at something like sage grouse, guys. I really do. That it's there's there's so much we can be doing that we're not doing, that we need to be doing. And if we don't get after it real quick, we're just going to keep seeing that number of 240,000 in, in, in 1988. And now we're in 2022 and we got 78,000. We're, we're just going to see this thing keep dropping and dropping yeah. and dropping and dropping. There's, there's some big, big time projects that need to be done. And long-term, short-term, what can we do in the long-term? What can we do in the short-term? What are these things we can do? How do, uh, we, how do we get people involved to start making that's that That's what I was happen? just going to say because it is... Do you write a politician? Do you write Endow? Do you write the federal government? Who do you, do you... How do you get the ball rolling? It is rolling in a, in a lot of respects already. Um, 
you know, we are doing, and, and, and I'm going to call it sage grouse work, but a mule deer, an antelope, anything is going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to have the same benefit. They're going to benefit off of us going out and, and fencing off a meadow. Very, very, very important, guys. Um, to take a spring, fence a spring, nothing gets in there. Um, we save the spring from, you know, we haven't even touched on this, <laughs> horses, feral horses yeah. um, and cattle to some, some respect. But, um, you know, you fence it off. You, you fence off the meadow. Um, and, and, you know, Nevada Bighorns Unlimited and a lot of other NGOs, we, we pay to do this. We'll, we'll buy everything. We'll su- supply all the labor. Um, and, and we'll go fence the whole meadow. You've got three within a half an hour here. You guys have seen them on, in, in 022 on, on Tula. You know, we did Upper and Lower Scott, uh, actually four, and we did Mud Springs, and we did uh, uh, the land that NBU owns in Black Canyon. Black Canyon. So we, and you've got a picture with my daughter there, yep. you know, Coyote, coyote hunting on, on the sign that says, hey, keep out you know, with our NBU logo there. We have to do more of that. And, but we have to go further than that. We have to, we have to think long-term. We have to work with the BLM and get all the BLM districts to go along with us and, and where it doesn't take seven, eight, 10 years to get something approved. This stuff has to be done right now. How do you do it? You do it with the, category, the CX, what they call a CX, category exclusion. And we get a lot of conservation things approved. And when an NGO can take it on, when, when the Department of Wildlife can take it on, when you and I, uh, us guys here, um, there's things we can do. Uh, I think you're allowed a few cords of wood um, up on your dad's favorite mountain, Big Hat, you know. Um, we can go up there with chainsaws. We can take five cords of wood out, you know. We don't want to take them all, but we want to go in their mosaic pattern. And, you know, if we'd been, you know, think about if we'd been doing this for 25 years, you know, we would we would have very, you know, very little juniper cut. You know, PJ encroachment, what they talk about. We'd have very little juniper coverage. So there's ways that you know a sportsman could say, okay, I'm going to go get my five cords of wood. Well, I'm going to go cut them up on the top of O11. Okay, right above your aunt and uncle's ranch. So there there are those little things that'll help, and it will help because some of that stuff up there is such a canopy that. And, it, you know, it's poison, and nothing grows in between them. Another thing is private, I believe, with mule deer, um, private property projects. We, we've got to start them, and we've got to get after them big time. I, I, you know, the bottom of the Via Rim, where you guys are very familiar with, okay, it's, it's damn near 100% privately owned, yeah. okay? So... We don't need the permission from the landowners or from the BLM to do what, we'd, what that landowner would, would allow you to do. Well, there's a thing called snowstorm kosher. And right now it's about, it's $40 a pound, okay? And it's just, it's, it's one of the greatest things that we have to, to, to go in and treat fires with. The other one is forage kosher. So the snowstorm kosher is going to get 40 inches and taller. The, snow, the forage kosher... Um, is going to be smaller, 12 inches and less, okay? Antelope love it, okay? So what I'm going to propose is w- with the landowners, if you guys would like to come along, I'd love to have you. We go up there and we say, hey, 
we're going to pay for everything. We're going we're gonna to come in here, and we're going to plant, and we're going to fence off your springs. You can do what you want with them. They're yours. All we want to do is keep the occasional feral horse out that they have on their private property. But we want to start this snowstorm kosher. And at $40 a pound, plus it's not available right now. There's none available. Okay? So I've been looking into this, and there's, a, there's an outfit in Oregon where they, they bought a lot of this in the past. And uh, we go to him because he has a specialized equipment or someone that harvests this seed off of it. And this is in three years, guys. In two to three years, we can harvest seed off of this kosher. So he gets to go ahead and keep his business going, but he gives us a percentage of what he's taken off of these private landowner ranches. So it's a win-win situation for everyone. That, that landowner, when he has uh, a field of kosher, uh, he's sitting on something probably better than alfalfa. Hmm. And the reason why I'll say that is I got a good buddy of mine that raises 6,000 head of calves, you know, meat calves. And when his cows go to a, to a pivot that kosher's on the outside of, that kosher's gone before he even touches that alfalfa. So what is it going to do for the landowner? We, we talked about 50 tags, right? 50, 50 animals for a tag. Okay, so those animals are coming in down and getting his crop. But, but he's, they're not going to be there for always they're you know they're not going to be there they're going to be other places during the hunting season so it's going to give the sportsman a good place to go hunting too um so that's a win-win situation for everyone now when we have a fire year uh which hopefully this year is not but you know we might have it we'll have available seed that we went out there on our own and and, and produced so we don't have to pay 40 bucks a pound Go back in and reseed what gets damaged. Exactly, and and you know, you know, another thing like reseeding is we'll have a thirty-eight thousand acre fire and we'll only reseed six thousand acres or five thousand. We need to do the whole thing, okay? Yeah. And if we if we have this type of seed and the BLM approves it, and some districts will let you plant it, some won't because it's not native. But um, if we have this in place, we don't have to worry about it anymore. We've got our own. And we could do yarrow. We could do all kinds of stuff this way. We just we use the private property owner, and we want it, We're conservationists. You know what do we talk about most of the time? We're not actually talking about the hunt. Yeah. We're talking about the time leading up to it. Right. So, you know, we need to to tackle these things to put them out in the forefront and, and get it moving. So is. Endow is not in that business of private property. They do things on, on private property, yes. And it's starting to be more. But, oh, I mean, good. this is the way we can leapfrog. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm just thinking <clears throat> you're trying to take the California Waterfowl Association on their egg salvation. I mean, they when farmers are out there at the same time wanting to harvest their crops is when ducks are on their eggs, on their nests with all their eggs. And they have joined up with all those not all but a lot of the landowners where a farmer will if sees a nest or a a hen fly off in the middle of their field they'll shut down their operation 
CWA will come in, send people, go through the field, pick up all the eggs, send them to Rancho Esquan, hatch them, they're back in the wild. Mm -hmm. And so that, that landowner completely stops his operation. And I, there might even be a little kickback, but most of them are like, yeah, I'm all for it. Well, I'm all for the, the helping of the, the you know, wildlife. I mean, we could keep going on and on, but I think we're definitely not getting into ballistics and anything else <laughs> right now. So you're coming back hopefully maybe next Tuesday and the following Tuesday and the following Tuesday because there's so many things that this can lead into and top top of the conversation. I have, a, I have just a burning topic in my brain right now. I know. That I, just, that, so do I, I. I agree. I just, we could sit here and talk for hours and hours. And so And it needs to be, but it needs to be more than four yeah, yeah. like we have here i oh, mean yeah. it needs to be and, and you know there, there, there's a lot of people out there smarter than we are especially smarter than me but i mean those kind of people you know you get them in the conversation you get it going and you know you sit down with a number of people you don't know how many good ideas you're going to get flown at you yeah. you know there's somebody's going to come up with some really good ideas and that that's why round tables are so important to have I think uh, I think yeah we'll we'll say uh, we won't say goodbye but we'll say uh, that we're gonna see you again next week. I hope you have some time in your schedule because yeah I have I have just a I mean it just sparks a million things but you can't have a ten hour long podcast nobody no. will listen. <laughs> well, so. we kind of forgot even in the beginning we just went right into. Uncle right Mel's voice. Right. <laughs> we forgot to even tell you who, because I have, you guys can't see out there in the podcast world, but I wanted to get into, I didn't know this was going, this conversation of deer. Now we got a sheep and elk and ant, everything else we got to talk Started about. with but, guzzlers. And guzzlers, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and there's one more, six, five, PRC, 11 calibers that i wanted to get into about yeah. what we we're going to shoot our elk with and what all the you know this new six five prc and a six millimeter and a seven six millimeter creed more and all these different things i had wanted to talk about because he's unbelievable in ballistics and what he knows about um but even though we just talked about the tags federal is is what I really wanted to get into. <laughs> you wanted to, you wanted to learn a little bit more but, about yeah because the different boxes of bullets that you have in front of you exactly I have with the I nice have, gold ends. Mel, will you talk about ballistics with us next week? Sure, we'll talk ballistics. I, I have I'm going to allude to my question is I, I want to know how do we get a the love that the NBU has for you know the for the, sheep for for deer. Yep. You know you you see the NBU and just the following it has, and, but then there is a mule deer foundation. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. I want to know how. Because you obviously have been a big part of growing what I'll do in the air quotations a brand, which is the NBU. But let's let's help the Mule Deer Foundation. Let's. You know. I've just got to say something here. Um, I was on the board for a while and at board uh, of what Nevada Bighorns Unlimited yeah. Reno, and the majority of my time at the first five or six years was all about Mule Deer guys. Oh, was it? really it? was, yeah. I mean, that, there, there's been a lot of projects that we did specifically for mule deer, and a lot of people don't, they, you know, they think, oh, Nevada Bighorns. And uh, to me, wildlife is wildlife. Yeah. Uh, they all need our help. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, a, a big, big part of, of NBU just 15 years ago was mule deer because sheep were, we were very anxious to start transplanting them again. We were very anxious, you know, we were building a lot of guzzlers because we thought we were gonna have transplanted those units. 
Um, that's something that's important to talk about with mule deer too, is transplanting. Right. You know, let's get over the scaredy, you know, let's get over this EHD, CWD, EHD, and blue tongue. Um, let's get over this and let's, let's, let's do something. Let's move some instead deer. Instead of just feeding them lead. Yeah. Well, we'll clear your schedule and uh, we'll thank you uh, for joining us today and we'll pre-thank you for joining us next week and the one after because I really do. This is going to be a four five part series. We're lucky enough to have you as a mentor and and like you said, your your brother is a mentor, but not everybody has that and so maybe you can shed light on it for some listeners out there that weren't lucky enough to have somebody like Orv or aren't lucky enough to have somebody like you and uh, we'll we'll dive into the ballistics. We'll dive into the and we'll NBU, also uh, Ward, mule deer. We'll know how our tag results were by the time. Oh yeah, next oh, we'll this Friday tags. we'll have results. We'll either all be qu- crying in our soup, or we'll all be talking about who, who's going and which uh, federal and which cartridge we're going to use. Yeah, yeah. Which, which federal which federal cartridge are we going to? I think Not I'm going to shoot more six millimeter Creedmoor and twenty two two fifty this year than anything at Coyotes. That's yeah, and, and I think you guilted us into a late season Coyote trip. Do we have camouflage shorts? <laughs> well, I was hoping you were going to tell me that uh, you were going to go on an early season coyote hunt and go out and well, do some real good for some fun. Well, right I guess now. it's, it's yeah. late for us. Yeah, late for us. It's not early at all, guys. I I was setting up again today uh, on a ranch out south of town. So um, it's important to do it all the yeah, time. We, all right. we refer to August as early season. Early season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is late season. <laughs> late, yeah. 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 All right. Okay. Well, thank, thank you, Federal. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, we'll see you next week. See y'all next week. day's work, sweating hard in a flannel shirt. It is a fast-paced rat race, don't give all take who's gonna finish first. Hell, nowadays it's safe to say that a damn dog's got more rights. Cause the administration's trying to rule the population. Folks